0: I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. In today's episode, this is probably going to be one of my favorite episodes. I'm going to be talking about artificial sweeteners or non-nutritive sweeteners as well as sugar alcohols, especially their impact on the gut microbiome to highlight how they could be affecting not only your digestion, but your weight, your fertility, your mood, etc. I was joking with a friend the other day and I said, "This podcast episode could have been an entire semester's worth of a research project for the amount of time that I have spent digging through research studies. And it was fun. It was really cool. And I'm excited to share all of that with you. Now, if you look at the food industry right now, it is booming with low carb, paleo, keto products. And To make food that's palatable, to make it have a good texture, have a sweet taste, they need to keep the carbohydrates low. And that's a big reason why we're seeing these food additives, such as the sugar alcohols and artificial sweeteners being added to these foods. I'm going to share the research as well as sharing my professional and personal experience And I'm gonna share my recommendations for alternatives if you decide that you want to reduce your intake of these sweeteners, sugar, alcohols, and it tips if you're dealing with sugar cravings. I get a lot of questions from clients who are saying, you know, I have a lot of sugar cravings and there's so many reasons why someone might be having that. They might have an imbalance in their gut microbiome. There's a certain type of bacteria that craves sugar. There could be, they could be under fueling. They could be overly stressed, but overall, I'm going to give you some tips for alternative sweeteners to use as well. I specialize in digestive health. So when I work one-on-one with clients who are having digestive issues, trying to balance their hormones, clear up their skin issues, autoimmune conditions, I have my clients remove these ingredients if they're in the healing phase. And personally, I steer away from these pr- these products that have these ingredients in them because I know firsthand that my digestive system does not like them. Now, my goal in this episode is really not to tell you whether or not these types of sweeteners are good versus bad because I don't like those labels and I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have a bar, you know, 2 weeks ago that had monk fruit in it, for example. So I'm simply here to present the education around how they might be interacting with your body in a negative way, how they can impact the gut microbiome, and hopefully clear up and create awareness that if you're struggling with health issues, whether it's digestive, hormonal imbalance, thyroid, autoimmune, then this is a topic you should have the privilege of learning about. So let's get started. So why are these sweeteners even being added to food? I mentioned we've got a food industry right now booming with low-carb products. This was really interesting. Ira Remsen, he was a chemist at Johns Hopkins University. He is credited with the discovery of saccharin, which was the first artificial sweetener. In 1879, he was in his lab trying to conjure up something totally unrelated. He went home, he ate a sandwich and accidentally left some of the solution on his hands, noticing that it was sweet tasting. So it was actually by accident that these were introduced to the food industry. Artificial sweeteners are used in a variety of foods to enhance and sweeten the flavor. And they're popular because they're usually either minimal or no calories, which means that they don't affect our blood glucose levels. Seems way too good to be true when you hear that, you know, it adds sweetness, but no calories. So for someone who's trying to manage their weight or control their blood sugar, for example, someone with you know, diabetes, this is a very attractive option and the food industry has capitalized that. And of course, as humans, we like to overindulge. I know I like to overindulge and the thought of being able to do that without the calories, without the added spike in blood sugar, followed by a sugar crash. I mean, who doesn't want that? So the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has approved eight artificial sweeteners to date, and these include acylfame K, or potassium, aspartame, saccharin, sucralose, neotame, adventame, haven't even seen this one on a food label, lujangol, Guo, which is also known as monk fruit. I may have pronounced that incorrectly. Stevia, which you'll now see a lot of products are listing it as um, rubicide. I'm, I'm not even probably pronouncing that right, but rubicide A or steviocide, which is basically just another way of saying stevia. So are they safe? So how does the FDA even regulate the use of these sweeteners in foods? So high-intensity sweeteners or artificial sweeteners are substitutes or alternatives to sugar, and they are much sweeter than table sugar. So you really only need a small amount to achieve the level of sweetness that you would from sugar. There is a large public concern over how many artificial food additives, including sugar substitutes, impact our health. And for this reason, there has been a good amount of research done on these additives. The FDA regulates general food additives by first submitting them to a pre-market review. Unless it's already been generally recognized as safe, GRAS, then they basically are able to go through this process where they look at the available scientific evidence and then the FDA determines that a high intensity sweetener would be approved for the general population under certain conditions of use. The FDA establishes what is called the acceptable daily intake, which is the level of the high intensity sweetener that a, even the most sensitive person would consume on a daily basis for the rest of their life that would not cause any harm. Now, the way that they determine this number, which would probably make anybody feel more safe to just learn how they do this, they basically find the number, they find the highest dietary level of an additive which has no adverse effects that were observed in the studies. And then they take that number and they divide it by a safety factor, which is usually 100. And then this leaves a much larger margin of error. So what this means is that they are being very cautious. They're saying, okay, if this is the level that is in in a lab, been able to show no adverse health effects, no detriment to health. Let's find that number and then let's just be really careful, divide it by a hundred and set that as the acceptable daily intake that someone would consume. And I want you to understand that because when I walk you through each sweetener, I'm going to share the acceptable daily intake, the ADI of each sweetener based on a 132 pound person and that how much that person would need to consume for a long period of time, seeing health implications so let's for let's just use stevia for example so scientists find the amount of stevia that you would have to consume that would cause harm to the body divide it by a hundred just to be extra cautious so for instance with stevia the acceptable daily intake is going to be I have it written down here nine packets so equivalent to nine packets of stevia which is a bit shocking to me because I, found the chart that shows each of the different sweeteners and their acceptable daily intake. And when you hear me go through the rest, nine is really low compared to some of the other ones. I think aspartame was up to like 27 packets, but anyways, we'll get there. So let's start with stevia. So stevia is a plant which is native to South America. It is the newer one that we're seeing on the market nowadays. And it's so hot because people are, okay, stevia is derived from a plant So our minds automatically go to, okay, it's got to be healthier. It's also known as Truvia, Stevia in the raw, Sweet Leaf, Sweet Drop, Sun Crystals, and Pure Via. These are all products that are extracted from the leaves. It's about 200 to 300 times sweeter than sugar. Now, where do we find Stevia? There's been a 25% increase in the number of new products containing Stevia just between 2008 and 2017. And I really believe this is because of the fact that manufacturers are catering to the consumer vulnerability to the term natural. When we see the term natural, we automatically think healthier. But I always use this example with clients What comes out of the toilet when you go to the bathroom every day, that's natural. So just put that in perspective that natural does not always mean healthy. It just is a marketing scheme. So where do we find Stevia? Stevia is in everything. They are adding it to teas, soft drinks, juices, yogurt, soy milk, baked goods, granola bars, alcoholic beverages, the new... What is the brand? I think it's Truly or White Claw, I can't remember, but they're adding Stevia now to their new product. And if you taste it, oh my gosh, it tastes delicious because I had a sip of one last week. It tastes tastes like a lollipop, basically, but man, it is so much sweeter than the original ones. Chewing gum, toothpaste, mouthwash, which some people might think, oh, toothpaste, mouthwash, no big deal, but We absorb what is in our toothpaste in our mouth very quickly. That's a very thin layer of skin. So what you're putting in your mouth is very important. Salad dressings, this is also very popular. They're adding it to salad dressings, candy, vitamins, children's vitamins, pharmaceuticals, cereals, confections, and a tabletop sweetener. I mean, people are using it to bake. As I mentioned, the ADI equivalent is nine packets And yes. Okay. So the ADI in aspartame was 75. That's what I wanted to reference it to. So the ADI for aspartame is 75 and for stevia it's nine. So just keep that into perspective. So what are the potential positives about stevia? Well, just like other non-nutritive sweeteners, you have the sweetness without the calories or the sugar. So it might be able to help somebody lose weight. It could improve their insulin sensitivity, fight type two diabetes, and it can also potentially lower someone's blood pressure and maybe fight cancer based on some of the research. But the fact that stevia has been shown to lower blood sugar and blood pressure might be good for some people, but could also be a concern for others. So also keep that in mind now what are the potential cons? And you're probably thinking, wow, that was a really short list of pros, Erin. Well, it's a non-nutritive sweetener, so there's no nutritional value to it. So that's why we end there. Now, what are some cons? Stevia is a diuretic, meaning that it increases the speed at which the body expels water and electrolytes through our urine. Coffee and alcohol are also diuretics. So just something to keep in mind. There are some studies that are linking stevia to infertility. Steviol glycosides are a type of steroid, and there is potential that they could be interfering with hormones controlled by our endocrine system. A 2016 study found that human sperm cells exposed to steviol experienced an increase in progesterone, but... Then we have studies that show that stevia could improve fertility in diabetic male rats rats, by controlling their blood sugar. Another big concern is the impact of stevia on our gut microbiome. There has been research that has shown that stevia can decrease the amount of a lactobacillus strain in the human gastrointestinal tract which would be a negative implication on our gut health because this is a really important strain that is important for human health. Another thing to keep in mind is that stevia supplements and extracts are being found to contain counterfeit ingredients, primarily artificial sweeteners that are linked to known health risks. Some of the commonly potential harmful chemicals found in stevia products are things like maltodextrin, sodium saccharin, sodium cyclamate, and aspartame. So sometimes you might think you're getting just pure stevia, but a lot of the products out there are usually cut with something else to be beneficial to the manufacturer to lower their cost of production. Processing stevia is also really complex. I watched an entire YouTube video on how this was done, so I feel like I know way too much about production of this. But basically, companies are using methane as a way to extract stevia rather than using ethanol. And the reason for this is because if you extract these any sort of artificial sweetener using ethanol, It takes a really long time to get your pure product because that's just the way that it works. Now, when you use methane, you can do it really quickly. And what happens is, is that you get a not as great quality product, but you've done it faster and your costs go down for production. So that's also something to keep in mind that the quality of the product depends on the extraction method. There have been reports of several GI effects such as nausea, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, excess gas. So when my clients come to me with digestive issues, especially, we are cutting these out, especially during the healing phase. There have also been reports in the research looking at people reporting having headaches and dizziness. So if that is something that you are struggling with, I would highly recommend giving um, cutting out stevia. And then pregnant women diabetics, those with high blood pressure should avoid using stevia due to the possible side effects. Some scientists say that it could be unsafe for pregnant and lactating women for periods longer than two years. So bottom line, pay attention to any sort of symptoms with stevia, especially nausea, vomiting, indigestion, cramping, and bloating. Now we're moving to monk fruit. Monk fruit is a little green fruit. It has been used as a sweetener in China for almost a thousand years. It contains zero calories and is about 10 to 250 times sweeter than sugar. And the fruit itself has long been regarded as the longevity fruit, thanks to its high antioxidant levels and anti-inflammatory effects. Now, when we use it as an artificial sweetener, it does not appear to have favorable clinical effects. So we cannot say that just because the fruit itself is healthy, that the extracted artificial sweetener has any nutritional benefit. The ADI, the acceptable daily intake for monk fruit has not been specified. When it comes to GI health, there are the same concerns that we find with any artificial sweeteners, and that is gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, and being mindful also that it could be impacting headaches or dizziness the same way that stevia could as well. The next sweetener is neotame. Now, this is not used as often as other sweeteners, and it's about 7,000 to 13,000 times sweeter than sugar. Wow. It is a synthetic sweetener developed by Monsanto, important note, as Monsanto's patent for aspartame was running out. It is made by adding 3-dimethylbutyl, a chemical that the EPA lists as hazardous. They add this to aspartame. Yum. (laughs) Being 30 times sweeter than aspartame, it means that you need a lot less of it to do the same job compared to other sweeteners. Now, this is an interesting thing for anybody that's listening to know. If an ingredient compromises less than 1% of a product in that item, then the FDA does not require it to even be listed on the food label. So food manufacturers love Neotame because they can put it in a product with the sweetness of the product. It's cheaper than sugar or high fructose corn syrup, and they don't even have to list it on the label. So the consumer would not even know. So the same goes true for trans fats, less than 1% of trans fats. If, if a product contains less than 1%, they don't have to list it on the Nutrition Facts label. Most of the research done on Neotame is sponsored by the parent company, so the controversy extends despite the FDA's assertions that both Neotame and Aspartame are safe to eat. It's a good opportunity to move on to Aspartame. Aspartame, also known as Equal or NutraSweet, is about 200 times sweeter than table sugar. It's used in drugs like vitamins, supplements, and laxatives, and... The biggest concern is for people who have PKU, which is a rare genetic disorder, and they have to avoid aspartame because they lack the enzyme that breaks down the amino acid phenylalanine. So you'll see if a product contains aspartame, it will have some sort of warning on it that is showing people who potentially have this genetic disorder that they cannot consume it. The ADI, the acceptable daily intake for aspartame, is 75 packets of sweetener containing aspartame. That's a lot of aspartame. So if someone were consuming this amount, 75 packets, on a daily basis for a long time, I think we would have bigger concerns um, than the sweetener itself if they have to have 75 packets of aspartame daily. Some studies report that consumption of aspartame leads to neurological and behavioral disturbances in sensitive individuals. A lot of my clients have reported headaches and dizziness when consuming it. I met with a client last week, and we've been working together for three months to improve her digestion, and she has been feeling awesome and she called me and said, I don't know what happened. I am just feeling awful. I haven't been able to get out of bed all day. She even had to call out of work. And we were doing a little investigating and she said, I had nothing out of the ordinary that I can think of. And we thought back to what she had the day before. And she had picked up a drink at the gas station and it was just a tea. It was a, I think an unsweetened tea and I looked it up online and lo and behold, that had aspartame in it. So I'm not saying that this happens in every single person, but in a lot of my clients, I've seen firsthand the detriments it can have on digestion, but not even just digestion, but headaches. A review of aspartame's metabolism showed that the human body breaks down aspartame into three compounds, methanol, aspartic acid, and phenylalanine. Now, although methanol further breaks down into formaldehyde and is toxic to the human body, research has established that the consumption of products containing aspartame will not lead to toxic levels of methanol because of the small amounts we normally consume. So some would say, if something is proven toxic at higher levels, why even consume it at all? And my counter argument to make this unbiased, because I'm doing the best I can to make this unbiased, is that if you drink too much water, you can die. Too much of anything is never a good thing. A study in 2005 raised the possibility that very high doses of aspartame might cause lymphoma and leukemia in rats. But after reviewing the study, the FDA identified many shortcomings of this study, and it did not alter its previous conclusion that aspartame is safe. A research study done on aspartame, sucralose, saccharin, neotame, adventame, and asylfame K, they observed that when exposed to only one milligram per milliliter of artificial sweeteners, the bacteria in the digestive tract became toxic. Now, this is important because our digestive tract, our gut microbial activity, if that is in any way being harmed, this can cause a wide range of health issues. Now, aspartame is widely regarded as safe. That's the bottom line but there are some doubts about its safety remaining. And something that I'm really passionate about is mental health. And there are some studies that show aspartame causing inhibition of brain serotonin and dopamine, which are really important for maintaining our mental health. And since drugs that raise dopamine levels in the brain have been proven effective in reducing headaches, it kind of makes sense that consuming aspartame could result in headaches because of these reduced dopamine levels. Abnormalities in serotonin levels have been observed in both tension type and migraine headache sufferers. So if you are someone who either suffers from any sort of poor mental health or has headaches, then you should really look at cutting out aspartame from your diet. Next up is acylfame K, also known as acylfame potassium, and you will usually see this being sold as sunnet and uh, sweet one, which is generally used in combination with other non-nutritive sweeteners, and it's often used in sugar-free sodas. I don't like to call out brands, but my clients are often shocked at some of the drinks that they buy that contain acylfame potassium. So do yourself a favor, turn over the back, check the ingredients list, and just be mindful of how much you're consuming. Next up is saccharin. Saccharin is the oldest artificial sweetener on the market. It's often found in that pink packet. It's about 200 to 700 times sweeter than table sugar, and the ADI for saccharin is 45 packets daily. In the early 1970s, saccharin was linked with the development of bladder cancer in laboratory rats, and what happened was is the FDA tried to ban it, which led to Congress to mandate additional studies for saccharin and the presence of a warning label on saccharin-containing products until the warning could be shown to be unnecessary. Since then, more than 30 human studies have demonstrated that the results found in rats were not relevant to humans and that saccharin is safe for human consumption. In 2000, the National Toxicology Program of the National Institute of Health concluded that saccharin should be removed from the list of potential carcinogens. So products containing saccharin no longer have to carry that warning label sucralose this is splenda and equal and is about 600 times sweeter than sugar people often use this one for baking it's found in many desserts canned fruits dairy products and syrups and it's often found in the yellow packet the ADI is 23 packets daily so again these are high amounts of packets so Again, if if somebody is consuming these high amounts, we have other things to be concerned about other than just the health detriments of these artificial sweeteners. And then we have Adventame, which is the newest non-nutritive sweetener that's been approved by the FDA. It's about 20,000 times sweeter than sugar. Not commonly used at this time. I can only imagine what this tastes like. The ADI is 32.8 packets per day. So how does the brain show reaction to artificial sweeteners compared to sugar? This is something that I was always curious about because I'm thinking, I'm a science person, so I'm wondering, okay, if the person's eating something that tastes sweet, but they're not actually getting sugar, I'm assuming, you know, their brain's lighting up and and, and reacting in a way to, to that, you know... That sensitive sweet taste. So these sweeteners are actually not absorbed in our gastrointestinal tract where we absorb sugar. When they reach the colon, our gut microbes cleave off the glucose molecules and then use them as an energy energy source. So what this means is that these sweeteners make their way to the lower part of your GI tract and they become food for the bacteria that are living in the colon. And this is why it's such a concern with GI health, or if you have gas, bloating, indigestion, diarrhea, constipation, if we know for a fact that these artificial sweeteners are making their way to a part of the digestive tract that sugar normally wouldn't be going to, then they're definitely having some impact on our gut health. Is that impact positive or negative is what we're trying to figure out. And in my professional opinion, with my master's degree in science, I think for some people it could be a beneficial thing. It could be feeding gut microbes that say someone had a diet really poor in fruits and vegetables and they didn't get fiber, which feeds our gut bacteria, or if they didn't eat probiotic rich foods, which feed our gut bacteria, maybe this could be a good thing. But with my clients and my gut healing program, these are not something that is typically part of our gut healing phase because I've seen firsthand the benefits of reducing these in the diet. So back to the brain, it has been hypothesized that considerable exposure to non-nutritive sweeteners may be associated with impaired energy regulation. The reward system plays a very important role in modulating how much we eat, the amount of calories that our body intakes. Two studies that I found concluded that artificial sweetener use may be associated with brain changes. So for instance, lighting up that reward center saying, oh, we've just got something sweet, that's great. That could influence our eating behavior and could actually cause us to eat more But there are also studies that have shown that it can influence our eating behavior to eat less. So really not conclusive. We just don't have a lot of quality research on humans when it comes to anything with artificial sweeteners. A study that was published recently showed a connection between diet drinks and artificial sweeteners and depression. Adding artificial sweeteners to drinks was associated with higher risk of depression in adults. So if you suffer from mental health issues, I would highly recommend taking a look at how much of these are in your diet. More research on the gut microbiome We know for a fact that gut health has to be optimal in order to maintain a healthy immune system, a healthy metabolism, and there's no question about that. We have plenty of research to support that. Multiple studies in animals suggest that artificial sweeteners exert measurable effects on our gut microbiome. But like I just mentioned, impacting the gut microbiome might not be a bad thing or it could be for someone. I'd prefer someone to get... Their fiber or probiotics from food versus consuming these artificial sweeteners because we know that there's nutritional value to those things versus artificial sweeteners which have no nutritional value. Suez et al. went on to assess the effect of artificial sweeteners on the microbiome in humans. They performed an observational study of a cohort of 381 Non-diabetic humans who reported regular consumption of artificial sweeteners, they used a food frequency questionnaire, which is always very iffy in a research study because you're relying on the person's report of what they ate. But this data showed a correlation between non-nutritive sweetener consumption and an increase in central obesity, fasting blood glucose, hemoglobin A1C, glucose tolerance test, and alanine aminotransferase. All negative things. There was also 172 randomly selected individuals from this cohort showed intestinal microbial changes characterized by increase in certain bacteria, which are not positive, which would have been associated with negative health implications. Many reports have shown that artificial sweetener consumption could alter our gut microbiome. And because of this, cause glucose intolerance. Animal studies have reported specific shifts in the intestinal microbiota relating its alterations in the metabolic pathways linked to glucose tolerance after ingestion of saccharin. And then a study from the Institute of Microbiology and Biotechnology found that, we mentioned this earlier, stevia kills a large number of the lactobacillus strain, which is a really important part of our gut bacteria for our health. In another research study done in rats who were fed artificial sweeteners for 80 days, they showed damage to the GI tract, including ulcers, cancers, increased permeability. One study done by Sasaki and colleagues found that rats who were fed sucralose, aspartame, or asylfame K had significant DNA damage in the stomach and the colon. Now, keep in mind that when they're doing these studies in rats, they are feeding them a lot more than would typically be consumed, much higher than the ADI, the acceptable daily limit, but it's important to share the research with you. I'm sure you don't want to hear a lot about the research, but it's important to understand there's... There's going to be research on both sides of this that I I did come across, and I'm, I'm more so sharing the potential harms, but there definitely are multiple research studies out there that say there's no harm to these things, and we've used large doses in animals and seen no impact, and metabolically, it doesn't make any sense that they would cause any harm. I'm also going to link a chart in the show notes that is a great comprehensive review of multiple research studies, looking at the impact of the gut microbiome changes in human and animals so that you can take a look for yourself. Now, what about the research in weight loss? Because this is why a lot of people consume products that have these. You know, you walk into a, a gas station or you're ordering food and you say, well, You know, I want to save some calories or, you know, don't want to get sugar right now. And so you'll choose the diet option or the low carb option. Studies have been able to show short-term weight loss, but they're lacking any real long-term results. There's been a positive dose response relationship between artificial sweeteners and long-term weight gain. Now, such an association does not by itself establish causality, but what this means is that and what I mean by that is that just because a study, you know, has a certain outcome doesn't mean that we can say, "Oh, yes, artificial sweeteners was the reason that participants gained weight." But this is a highlight of um important to note that artificial sweeteners have also been associated with weight gain. And this could you could also ask, "Okay, well, If someone chooses a diet drink, then they order a sub with that because they say either they like the taste of it or they say, okay, I'm going to have the lower calorie option so I can indulge maybe either with my meal or have something later and not feel as guilty of it. So important things to keep in mind. A systematic review, including meta-analyses of evidence from human and animal studies found that the balance of evidence indicates that use of these sweeteners in place of sugar in children and adults could lead to reduction in energy intake and body weight. So it could be that people are getting the sweetness, they're all set, they don't need extra calories, and they find themselves consuming less and therefore losing weight. There's also research that promotes the idea that monk fruit and stevia in particular could be a good way to manage diabetes and control blood sugar and also control weight. And there's a few different mechanisms for how this could be happening. It could be through altering the gut microbiota that the individual could be losing weight or controlling their blood sugar. It could be the fact that they are simply just lower or zero calories or Lastly, it could just be the fact that they're not having that insulin stimulation the way that you typically would if you were digesting and absorbing sugar. And now we are moving on to sugar alcohols, which are a type of carbohydrate also known as polyols, and they are added as sweeteners and bulking agents to foods. Now they naturally occur in foods, but most of them are manufactured in a lab and they include erythritol, which is produced from cornstarch, isomalt, lactitol, molatol, mannitol. Mannitol occurs naturally in pineapples, strawberries, onions, olives, asparagus, sweet potatoes, and carrots. And this one lingers in the intestines for a long time. And therefore, people will report bloating and diarrhea because of that. Sorbitol, this is definitely a more common one. It's naturally found in blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, apples, apricots, avocados, cherries, peaches, plums, but it is typically manufactured from corn syrup. Xylitol, naturally found in straw, super random, corn cobs, fruit, vegetables, cereals, and mushrooms. And you'll also see this in chewing gum and toothpaste now because The xylitol has actually been shown to inhibit the growth of bacteria that cause cavities, which would have been really great for me when I was seven years old. I think I had 10 cavities at that time. But to be honest, I don't think there's anything that could have cured my sugar addiction. (laughs) And the last one is hydrogenated starch hydrolysates. And these are typically found in baked goods and mouthwashes. I've seen Some breads and muffins in grocery stores with these, but the sorbitol, mannitol, xylitol, these are definitely more common in things like the bars and baked goods and shelf-stable items. So that brings us into where we typically find them. They're almost always in products that are labeled as sugar-free, low-sugar, diabetic-friendly, low-carb, But especially now, if a product is classified as keto and many paleo or low-carb shelf items, because it keeps that taste and texture without the carbs and the calories, and that's why the food manufacturers absolutely love it. Mints, sugar-free gums, chocolates, frosting, candies no sugar syrups, dressings, sauces, bars, baked goods, ice cream, because it gives it that creamy texture, and the less suspected places like toothpaste, mouthwash, and almost always cough syrup. The biggest concern when it comes to gut health is that, as I mentioned These types of carbohydrates are polyols, so they are the P in low FODMAP. So for someone who's following a low FODMAP diet, these are an ingredient that you would really want to avoid because that polyol is an ingredient that people with IBS or digestive issues are poorly digested and can exacerbate your symptoms. Now, if you aren't familiar with the low FODMAP diet, I will be doing an episode on this, but it's a group of foods that's avoided for a short period of time to manage GI symptoms. Now, they do provide some calories when you consume them, so they are considered to be nutritive sweeteners, but they're lower calories typically than sugar is. Now, don't let the name throw you off. They're called sugar alcohols because they have a structure similar to that of alcohol and sugar, but they don't affect the body like alcohol. So some of the pros, which are similar to some of the pros of the artificial or non-nutritive sweeteners discussed, they contain less calories per gram compared to sugar. They don't cause tooth decay the way that sugar does. They add texture to foods, retain moisture better, and prevent food from browning when heated, and they might allow people with diabetes to maintain better blood sugar while still enjoying sweet treats in moderation. So the cons, as I mentioned, they are a type of carbohydrate that is avoided for people who are on the low FODMAP diet or just in general have issues such as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, maybe just general gas and bloating. And when you eat too many of these, which, let me tell you, I was chewing a pack of gum a day, no joke, I remember I couldn't even take a deep breath without feeling a sharp pain in my stomach from all of the gas. When you eat too many of these, especially sorbitol and mannitol, they are likely to cause gas, stomach pains, diarrhea, and have very much a laxative effect. Another con, weight gain has been seen when these products are overeaten, and a lot of them are made from genetically modified corn. All of the sugar alcohols are highly refined in order to get them to the state that they're able to be consumed, so it's important to just keep that in mind if you're consuming a lot of these products with sugar alcohols in them. Now, when it comes to gut health, sugar alcohols have the potential to disrupt the lining of our gut. And this is ironic because the gut is the very tissue that is already compromised for people who are suffering from diabetes and other autoimmune disorders. The body's inability to effectively break down the sugar alcohols is what causes them to arrive to the intestines, just like the non-nutritive sweeteners. And at that point, what happens is called passive diffusion, So the sugar alcohol that was consumed draws water into our bowels, and this is why we typically have that laxative effect if we consume too much of them. And this results in only partially breaking down the sugar alcohol, and the unmetabolized part of it begins to rot, creating the perfect environment for undesirable bacteria and pathogens to feed, thrive, and grow. In recognition of this, healing protocols that I use in my practice, such as my own rewire your gut protocol, the SCD diet, the autoimmune paleo, these all have zero sugar alcohols and non-nutritive sweeteners because of the impact that they have on the gut. It's also important to note that while these refined, highly processed sweeteners have been generally recognized as safe, that there's no rigorous long-term studies that have been performed. In my professional recommendation, I will say that all refined food products should be avoided, especially in the healing phase. Some researchers worry that long-term use of these non-nutritive sweeteners and sugar alcohols could possibly have metabolic effects that we haven't detected using standard toxicological tests or other measures, and it's really tough to study the gut microbiome. So in general, if you are someone who has digestive issues, especially IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, any sort of dysbiosis, Crohn's, colitis, I would recommend taking these products out of your diet just solely due to the nature of the way they're digested. And some people will argue with me and say, okay, well, we have rising levels of diabetes and obesity in the United States. And it is possible that for some people, a zero calorie sugar alternative that carries some risks might be a healthier choice than sugar. And I totally hear you on this point, but at the same time, we've seen such a rise in these products and the obesity and diabetes rates have not declined accordingly. Leave in moderation. I would agree with the U S dietary guidelines for Americans. They advise limiting added sugars to less than 10% of daily calories. That is no more than 200 calories from added sugars in a typical 2000 calorie a day diet for an adult of a normal weight. That would be no more than six teaspoons of sugar or 25 total grams of sugar per day. I'm human. I'm always going to consume sugar in some shape or form, but I'm always mindful of how much. And I teach this to my clients as well. It's really all about moderation. My clients will ask me, well, what's the best type of sugar? Is it maple syrup? Is it honey? Is it coconut sugar? And these options definitely provide some nutritional benefit compared to just your standard refined white sugar. But at the end of the day, guys, we are not getting the bulk of our nutrition from sugar. So pick the one that you most enjoy the taste of and stick to moderation. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me to improve your gut health and get to the root cause of why you aren't reaching your health goals whether they are to lose weight, improve your athletic performance, improve your digestion, you can go to nutritionrewired.com and you can also find my book, Rewire Your Gut, which is an excellent resource for anybody who's looking to improve their health. It's full of delicious recipes and it has practical steps that you can start taking today to start improving your health. And I can tell you just in the past two weeks, I have had two messages from people who have purchased the guide and they noticed just in one week reduction in cravings, improvement in digestion, and they loved making the recipes. So thanks for tuning in. As always, don't forget to share the health.